0: Good evening. Welcome again to those who are new. Welcome to everyone, especially to those who are new. My name is Chad Blakian. I'm a, the director here for College Young Adult at Trinity Community Church. And I am excited. I am thrilled to, as Drew said earlier, continue in Titus. And, titus and, and tonight, Drew, what we're going through, you were curious earlier, we're talking about how the truth reproves. So you got it right. We're still talking about truth. The truth reproves. Last couple of weeks, we talked about uh, the truth defines church leadership. We broke that up into two sections. And now tonight, we're talking about how the truth reproves. And believe it or not, we are tackling our largest section tonight. Four whopping verses. Everybody, we're good. We did it. We've, we're, we're making our trek through Titus slowly, but it is good and it is for our good. And I'm excited for tonight. Many years ago, when I first became a Christian, when I was a, a young fellow in the faith, still am a young fellow in the faith, but when I was a really young fellow in the faith, like 15 years ago, um, I, I, was, I was that young, like on fire for Jesus type of personality. Anything that had Christian on it, I wanted to eat it up. And that can be dangerous, but... The thing is, a friend had invited me to, a, to an event at their church, and I went heartily, right? I'm like, yes, it has Christian on it. It's at a church. I'm going to go. Um, it didn't take long for me to realize at this event while the, the guy was speaking that something was off. Something didn't quite seem right in what he was saying. Something didn't quite seem, seem right in what I was seeing and what I was hearing. The man from the stage was calling out ailments that were in the audience that people were struggling with. And he asked those people to come up on stage. And with the right amount of faith and the right amount of prayer, they were healed on stage. At least... That's what, you know, they thought. Well, that's what he claimed. At one point, though, he uh, he he called something out that had that I had been struggling with, something that I had been bes- that's something that had been besetting me. And of course, he says, "Whoever that person is, come up here." Me being quite scared was like, "No, uh-huh. I'm I'm young in the faith, but I know something, something doesn't feel right here." So I didn't, I I stayed in my seat, but he said, he said, whoever that is, you're healed. I went home that night, not healed. And it terrified me because one of two things just happened. Either I did not exercise enough faith in the omnipotent power of God or I had just been sold a bill of lies by a false teacher. Tonight, in Titus one ten to 14, we are addressing false teachers and what to do with them. Follow along with me. Chapter 1, verse 10. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of dishonest gain. One of themselves, a prophet of their own said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. And for this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. Our outline tonight, beware of false teachers, silence false teachers, and reprove false teachers. Again, last week we talked about the conduct and the character and the conviction of faithful men who shepherd the church. We call them elders. We call them overseers, pastors. They are to feed the sheep and ward off the wolves, we learn. Feed the sheep and ward off the wolves. Tonight are the wolves that need to be warded off. That's what we see in our text tonight. And the first thing we hear of these wolves is that there are many. There are many. Paul says, for there are many rebellious men. In 2 Timothy, Paul calls out false teachers as well. And, but in, in that book, he names them by name. He gives them, he names two people in the book. Interestingly enough, here, he doesn't even give names. He just says, there's many. Is he scared to call them out? No, there's just a lot of them. It would take a long time. And first we learn this. They are rebellious. That's the first thing we learn about false teachers. They're rebellious. They refuse to submit to anyone or anything. They're a law unto themselves. Is what they really are. They determine in their eyes what is right. They are, we discussed this term last week, self-willed. The elder, the faithful shepherd, he is not to be self-willed. He must submit to God and his word, but this man, he is rebellious. He refuses to submit to any one. He is self-willed. He is rebellious. And what are you? Where, where do you stand? Who is your authority? We've asked that a lot in this letter. Who is your authority? The very first mark of a false teacher, listen guys, is not in what he says, but in how he lives. It's not in what he says, it's in how he lives. Just like the mark of the faithful elder is not only in what he believes, but in how he lives it out in his character, in his conduct, in his home, in the public. There are many false teachers. We can name them. Many of them. Two that came to my mind, and I looked at their websites for just just to be intre- because I was interested. Joel Osteen and, and Stephen Furtick. I looked at their websites, Lakewood church, that pastor of that church, pastor of that church. I put that in quotations, air quotes. I looked on the website. I looked at the page that said leadership. There was no page that said leadership. He stands alone. Hmm, interesting. So I went over to Elevation Church. They do have a page that says leadership. Guess who stands alone on that page? Stephen Furtick and his wife, they're leaders of the church. Why do I say that? Not just to point them out, but to point out the fact that they refuse to submit to anybody. False teachers don't want to submit to elders. See, elders, we talked about last week, are for the good of the church. You and I submit to elders. Our elders submit to one another. That's the whole point of a plurality, plurality of elders. These men, these false teachers, they refuse to submit to anyone. They are rebellious. The opposite of rebell- a rebellious man is actually Titus one one, Paul, a what? Slave of God. He's a slave of God, a, a one who submits to God. It is so important, listen, that you learn, that I learn to submit to God god it is all over scripture the man who is blessed is the man who submits to god the second identifier paul gives of these false teachers is right here they're empty talkers they're babblers stuff comes out of their mouth but it's doing nothing we might know people like that, right? They sound eloquent. They can light up a room. They can smile all day long. But in the end, all they're really doing is, is 2 Timothy uh, four 3, They're just tickling ears, right? They're just tickling ears. It, it, it just feels good. It sounds good. That's all they're doing. They're really saying nothing of fruitful. Their speech is fruitless is, is the point of that. It's like a doctor who will talk your ear off but offer you no real solution or, um, or, or, or eating a dinner of a, a wad of cotton candy and a slushy. right? It might masquerade as food, but it's offering you no real substance, no real uh, uh, health. It's pointless, it's vain. They, they can talk all day long, but it does nothing. Not one single person is closer to, to godliness when they're done. When God's word is faithfully proclaimed, it does something. And I want you to keep that in mind because we're going to address that a little bit next week. It does something. The truth does something. If it doesn't do something, something's wrong. God's word accomplishes things. It doesn't go out and it's not, it doesn't come back void. That's what scripture teaches us. It does stuff. I mean, we were at the beginning of the series, verse three, one, three, look at that, but at the proper time, manifested his word in preaching. That's what Paul says. Paul's saying that the way God drives home truth in our hearts is through faithful proclamation of the word. Faithful preaching produces faithful people. That's the picture. That's the idea. And these people, they're just empty talkers. Talk, 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 talk. Nothing happens. But worse, yes, they're, they're, they're rebellious. They're uh, empty talkers. But what this amounts to is that they are deceivers. They're deceivers. That's the third point. They're deceivers. False teachers are marked by, by how much they lie. They're lying to you. They masquerade like sheep but they're actually wolves. The faithful elder, the faithful overseer reflects Christ in his shepherding. The false teacher reflects Satan in his deceiving. The Greek word for deceiver, it's fascinating. This blew my mind. It, it carries with it a notion of seduction, seduction. That's the idea. They're, they're seducing you. It looks good. It tastes good. It may even seem like there's fruit to their ministry for a short time, but in the end, it's a lie. Proverbs chapter 6 talks about the adulterous woman and how she woos people. And she she twinkles her eyes. She looks pretty. But in the end, she kills the young man that comes to her. Like the prostitute, the false teacher woos you and kills you. That's exactly what they do. The MO is the same. And, and lies, lies aren't typically believed when it's a full-blown lie, right? That's why toddlers are bad at lying because it's like they lie and you can clearly tell they're lying to you. But these guys, they're, they're, they're sneaky. They're mixing 98% truth with 2% lie and you believe it. Look, I'll tell you right now. If, if, you, if you go into ministry and you want to become the most popular person ever, all you have to do is change one, uh, a definite article into an indefinite one. Jesus is a way to God. Write a book, you'll make millions. The world will eat that up. But that's a lie. We read in scripture, Jesus is the way to God. You see? I had a professor in college And actually, for those of you that go to the master's college back then, now it's master's university or have heard of it, um, you might know what I'm talking about, but it was my history teacher. And he would write these questions that were like a paragraph long, say my history, say it was a, an event in history that took place on um, February 13th, that's today, but he put in the question February 12th. Now, every single detail in that paragraph could be right, but that one date. And if you answered true, he'd mark you down because the question was false. Because the event didn't take place on February 12th. It took place on February 13th. And how am I supposed to get a decent grade on this? He'd say at every class, study the notes, study the notes, study the notes. That was his point. That's why we read at the beginning, Paul's apostleship is for the full knowledge of the truth, right? Why? Because it's through the truth we aren't deceived. It's through the truth we aren't deceived. Study and meditate on the book in your hands. Your life depends on it. Who are these false teachers? Where do they come from? Specifically here, they're they're the Jews. We see here, um, Especially, verse 10, especially those of the circumcision. They're the Jews. People, catch this, who should have known better. People who should have known better. People who, Romans chapter 3, verse 2 says, were given the oracles of God. They were given the law. They watched God split the Red Sea. Their ancestors were provided for in the wilderness. Their ancestors walked into the promised land, uh, basically watching God knock down their enemies. Uh, We can go on. They should have known better. And yet here they are teaching things that are rebellious. They're empty talkers. They're deceivers. But that's typically the case, isn't it? it's typically the case that those who should know better are the ones deceiving you. Those who have been given so much truth in their life and yet they're choosing to lie to you for gain. Now we don't know exactly from Titus the, the uh, deceptions that were being um, proliferated, but we do know like probably in Acts 15, 1, we read this. The, <clears throat> Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brothers, quote, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay, that gives us a good idea of what was being taught in Titus, in, in Titus's day. Here are men who are saying the gospel isn't enough. Is the gospel enough for you? I want you to consider that, really. For these people, there needed to be more. It wasn't enough that it was by grace alone, in faith alone, through Christ alone. That wasn't enough for them. They needed something more. They needed to add something to boast about. And so they say, well, why not circumcision? That's an outward mark that I could do. And I could say, I did it. But that's not the gospel. That's false teaching. The Gospels by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, are works. They do not add to your salvation. Certainly, we work because of our salvation, because of the Spirit of God within you after you're saved, but they do not do anything to add to it. Beware of false teachers. Our second point, silence false teachers. Silence false teachers. Deception, we talked about. Deception is probably the most dangerous mark of these men. Because rebellious people, rebellious people, yeah, they're certainly dangerous, but at the end of the day, whether they bow to God now or not, one day we know from scripture, they will bow to God. Empty talkers, they're dangerous, absolutely, but they can, they can be tuned out after a while, just. Close your ears. But deceivers, deceivers must be silenced. Because here's the problem. On their way to hell, they drag people with them. They're lying to you. And here we're given the term must be. And again, if you were here last week, we saw this term. The faithful shepherd of the church must be beyond reproach. And the false teacher must be silenced, gagged, muzzled, just shut up. That's the picture here. Now, in ancient times, I'm not saying we do this now. In ancient times, the way, the infamous way that you you shut someone up in ancient times was to just cut out their tongue. Now, we don't do that now, but that's the idea. Make it so they can't speak. Stop giving them a platform. Just the, This can happen in, in two ways. And we, we address them actually already. First, how do you silence a false teacher, but live blamelessly? Let your actions prove them wrong. Live in such a way that it becomes so blatantly obvious who's who. That's the idea. Also, second, proclaim the truth. Listen, truth faithfully proclaimed is much louder than error deceitfully taught. Truth faithfully proclaimed is much louder than error that is deceitfully taught. But here, Paul doesn't just give a command. He gives the why as well. He says, silence them because, why? Because they're upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of dishonest gain. Now, this is a unique statement. It actually kind of confused me at first until I dug down deep and it made more sense. The term upsetting is not used much in scripture. It's not used much in the New Testament, but where it is used, it is used when Jesus overturns or upsets the tables in the temple. This kind of teaching, it overturns people. It it leaves them confused. Like. When I was a young believer in that story I told at the beginning, I was confused. What went on? I had no idea. I was just scared. That's what this kind of teaching does. And, And again, it isn't just some people deceiving others. It's many deceiving what? Whole families. It's many deceiving many. Now we've seen this, people who, who are being dragged away into this chaos, their whole families, and depending on your interpretation of the text, whole churches. You know, a church that opens, that cracks the door, open to a false teacher or their music and what happens, It floods the church. It floods the church. The church is overturned on itself. Uh, what may have once been a, a household of God has just become a stadium to the glory of man. That's what it becomes when a false teacher, his teaching enters the building. Speaking of overturning tables, um, isn't that why Jesus did it in the temple? Because what had once become a household of prayer had become a den of robbers. The temple had had become a place where people just schemed and lied and took advantage of you to make money. Now, is there anything wrong with making money? Absolutely not. Of course not. Indeed, God is glorified when you work hard with your hands. But... Jesus does teach clearly, watch out. Because the love, the worship of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And from our text tonight, that includes false teaching. Because money motivates these people. Why do you do what you do? Think about that. What motivates you in the morning? What motivates you when you get out of bed? Paul says that money motivates the false teacher. Greed drives them. Mark my words, when the money stops, they will too. It's why on that Lakewood Church website I mentioned at the beginning, the biggest button on there was give because that's all they care about. When the money is gone, they're going to find a new place to spread their lies. Listen, the faithful shepherd is not like this. We actually read back in verse uh, seven that he is not to be fond of dishonest gain. So we're really seeing tonight the exact opposite of the faithful shepherd, the faithful pastor. And, and, and the reality is you guys, What compels us ought to be, must be, 2 Corinthians 5.14, Christ's love. That's what compels us. That's what compels you. What drives you? Do you realize that you are breathing right now because Christ, the sovereign Lord of the universe, has said breathe? What drives you? James, uh, in the book of James, gives a scathing rebuke to those who are motivated by the material. He says this, Come now, you rich, cry, howling over your miseries, which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. You have stored up such treasure in these last days. Where are you storing your treasure? What motivates you? Now Paul does something unusual here in verse 12. He he quotes a prophet from outside of sacred scripture, but it's in the Bible, which makes it authoritative in sacred scripture. So it's, it's fascinating what he does here, but he says this, one of themselves, a prophet of their own said, "Creatures are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Now, several accounts um, from the early church fathers actually say that this person was a name, guy by the name of Epimenides and he was a self-proclaimed prophet who lived hundreds of years before Jesus. But he must have gotten something right because Paul says next, this testimony is true. But what does this have to do with anything? Paul's point is that he is identifying that these false teachers really actually don't look anything different than the culture around them. That's his point. In fact, their living shows you that this is still true of the Cretans, that they're always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Let's just look at that. Always liars. In, in the Greek, the term to lie, catch this, is kratiso. The island of Crete was so associated with lying that the verb is the name of the island. <laughs> they were perpetually deceiving each other. Again, mark of the false teacher. The second term, evil beasts. They were like wild animals, completely given over to the passions of their own flesh and their own, their own lusts. And in other words, they, they didn't act like human beings with God-given consciences. They were just animals with each other, ravenous animals. And the third term, lazy gluttons. It means literally slow bellies. They overeat and refuse to work. They're like a, like a, like a beached whale. They just sat there. And it got me thinking, like, if that's what a prophet said about Crate, what would people say of our church today? If they gave three words, what would people say of you personally if they had three words to describe you? Our final point, reprove false teachers. Paul says, again, this testimony is true. Since Epimenides, roughly 600 BC, when he said that, make that prophecy, if that's what you'd call it, this is the reputation of how they carried themselves. And these false teachers are lining up with the reputation. It was true in Epimenides' time. It's true in Paul's time with the false teachers. do we write such people off immediately? Are they a lost cause? I've been scathing to some false teachers tonight and what they teach. How can that reputation be changed? And yes, it can. But it happens when Titus appoints elders, faithful men who are Beyond reproach, again, that term last week. Men who are not liars, men who do not love dishonest gain, men who will live righteously, and men who will act and proclaim faithfully the truth of God. Men who, we, who will, like we heard last Sunday in First Samuel, not stop until all the truth of God has been spoken. Listen, the truth, we said this earlier, does something. The truth turns liars into truth lovers. The truth turns evil beasts into mature men and women of God. The truth turns lazy gluttons into hardworking people that honor him with their labor. Listen, the truth makes dead men alive. Can the reputation of the Christians be changed? Absolutely. It's called the gospel. That that's exactly how it is changed. Because we were all dead in our sin. And it's through the gospel, it's through the truth that that, that these that these people are changed from death to life. And yes, including. Including false teachers, if they repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Now, naturally, naturally, in my flesh, I want to stop the message here. Naturally, I want to close. But we read. Because we've read so far tonight that we are to beware false teachers, we're to silence false teachers. Amen, hallelujah. Can we end it there? But praise God, I do not determine what the Bible says. And praise God that Paul does not stop there. He says, for this reason, reprove them severely. Why? So that they may be sound in the faith. What's your immediate reaction to false teachers? Is it condemnation or is it love? I know that's an interesting question, but think about that. Because if our immediate reaction to false teaching is instant condemnation with no hope offered, I'm afraid we've misunderstood the gospel. I'm afraid we've misunderstood what Paul's trying to get at here tonight. Because contrary to our natural flesh, your desire for anyone who is teaching falsely must be that they become sound in the faith. Love love will reprove. Love will reprove. Love will correct. It will bring to light their error. And it will do so actually severely. That's what we read in the text. Severely. Uh, Yes, we condemn absolutely what they're teaching. Galatians 1 does so. We don't don't have time to look at it tonight, but read, read Galatians 1 tonight. Paul says, the person that teaches anything contrary to the gospel is condemned. Their teaching is condemned. But... Is your desire to see them sound in the faith? Do you love them? I have the utmost respect for our law enforcement. I love what they do. They put themselves in harm's way every single day, but I especially love firemen. And you'll see where I'm going with this. I think they're awesome. And one of my dreams, I'm not kidding, is to ride in a fire truck, with the whole like ordeal. Like I want my arm out the window. I want the Dalmatian on my lap. I want the siren to be going. And if they let me power the ladder, I will do that too. I just think they're awesome. Imagine a house on fire. And the fireman comes with the fireman axe and he hacks the door down. He axes that thing down to bring the people to safety the term severely literally means hacking, axing. That's what we do. We reprove, we love them, but it is severely. It's axing the door down. We got to get you out of here is the idea. That's the idea with the term. Um, it's rough. It's ultimately, though, for the good of those in danger. The idea is that the faithful man of God, he will reprove, he will rebuke, he will convince the false teacher of their wrong. Why? So that they may be sound in the faith, firmly standing in the truth, fixed on the gospel. It can be easy, absolutely. It can be easy to turn a blind eye to it. People do it all the time, but we must not. We must not. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul likens um, false teachers to the disease of gangrene. Gangrene. Now, you don't have to, but I just did for the sake of it. I went and looked up what gangrene was. It is disgusting. It. I'm going to just say it. It literally is like this disease that just eats away at you and, and your blood stops flowing to that part of your body and it will eventually just failed to be there they might they if it's severe they got to cut cut the limb off it's that bad and it spreads and that's paul's point if 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 false teaching is not dealt with it it spreads like gangrene it spreads it kills it must be dealt with for for the sake of that person and for the health of the church paul says A little leaven leavens the whole lump. But what about you? What happens when you are approved? What happens when you stray from sound teaching? How do you respond to them? Because don't just look out there, look within. Look within your heart. Uh, Psalm 139. We know it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. One final thing Paul commands here in the text. Our ultimate desire is yes, that they are sound in the faith, but what happens if that doesn't happen? Regardless of whether or not the reproving accomplishes that, and we pray that it does, Paul said, Don't pay attention to them. Don't pay attention to their silly Jewish myths or their man made commandments. These men who turn away from the truth. Don't do it. Don't give them the time of day. Don't give them a platform. Reject their lies it's like an in and, out, in and out tactic, right? We go in with reproof. We show them where they're wrong. We show them the truth, but then we step out because we can't stay there long because it's going to influence us. It will. It's like... Um, in Second Peter, it talks about how Lot was influenced by Sodom around him. And it said it weared on him. Day after day, the sin of that country weared on him until he was polluted, it says. Look, we don't stay in Sodom. Get out of Sodom. You go in, you with reproof, but then you come out. I I have I have sat across the table from people firsthand on several occasions who I thought were solid, sound believers, look at me in the eye and deny the truth because they had been listening to false teachers. They had been listening to myths, man-made commandments. Ah, Such a fine line. We reprove, but we we don't pay attention to them. Someone once said to me, um, I've heard uh, Christians are narrow-minded, and I thought to myself, well, that's probably actually good because Jesus said the way is narrow. You know, it's this idea where we, we don't have an open mind as you go into these conversations. You have God's mind. We have the truth in our minds and our hearts. We live it out. It drives us. It motivates us. And that's really what it's about. Having God's mindset, being in God's word, being filled with the full knowledge of the truth, equipped to stand against the many deceptions of our age. I'm going to close with this lyric from the song we're about to sing. With shield of faith, and belt of truth will stand against the devil's lies, an army bold whose battle cry is love reaching out to those in darkness. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Our Savior and our Lord, we come to you tonight in the name of your Son, grateful. Grateful that we hold in our hands the truth and we ask God that that truth would drive us, that that we would be filled with it, ready to stand against in love the deceptions and the lies of false teachers. And if needed, to silence and to reprove. Oh, by the power of your spirit, Lord, we are weak in this. Lord, we need you. You are so good to us, God. Thank you for the truth that is ultimately found in Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to fix our eyes on him, cause us to see him, to love him, to treasure him more and more. Oh God, we just pray that the truth would be the song of our souls tonight, tomorrow, and the days to come. We pray it in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for joining me for this sermon from the Trinity College and Young Adult Ministry. We would love for you to join us in person soon. For up-to-date information, follow our Instagram at trinityc.ya. For information regarding Trinity Community Church, visit trinitycc.com. Until he returns, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you.